You're listening to Spirits, Oddities, and Mysteries. Because no good podcast starts with a salad. Hello, lover. Hello, darling. Samsonites. Hey guys. It has been a minute. A hot minute to say the least. A whole lot has happened in this world since we've been gone. We've been kidnapped, quarantined. There are uh, madness in every direction, but we're not here to talk to you about all that. (laughs) But we're going to distract you from all of that now that we're back and we're in our new improved studio. Pictures coming soon. Still putting uh, paintings the, and whatnot final, up on the walls. Final touches and whatnot. I'm pretty excited. Much uh, less cluttered than our last space. Yeah, and, and much more comfortable to sit in. You know, got an actual desk in here and all that fun stuff instead of a fold all table, a fold out <laughs> table. <laughs> but all right. Yeah. We got a exciting, fun beverage for this this episode. We sure do. We've been saving this for a good episode, and what not for our returning episode, a Slaughterhouse American Whiskey. Compliments of Zoe, my brother's wife. Thank you so much. Most people would say sister-in-law. I would say sister-in-law. <laughs> that would make sense. Yes. But uh, let's uh, crack the label and taste it out. All right. Slow pour. Don't crack our beautiful clear ice balls. Very slow. We got, I think we already told you guys about that, but I went all out with a uh, special ice ball maker. It actually forces the impurities as it freezes the ice balls down into like a separate compartment. It is the only way to get like true Perfectly clear, crystal glass ice balls. One might say he's obsessed with balls. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Ouch. Cheers, my love, to a fantastic episode. Ooh, me gusta. That is good. Very smooth. A little bit of bite, which I do like, that uh, on the throat when you swallow it. Wispy's first sip and I'm already slurring. Whiskey's got to have a little bit of a bite. Doesn't it Too though? Too smooth and uh, kind of on the fence if it's an actual whiskey. Right. All right. So I do have a couple little things that I want to dive into before I actually get into my real topic. I know it's been a while, but we still got to talk about a bunch of shit, right? I think that's how the whole thing works. <laughs> <laughs> well... I wanted to bring up a big thank you and a lot of fun. We had uh, recorded some assistance for the Scared Shirtless podcast. That was a whole lot of fun. We were on a couple of their episodes. And, uh, Seems like forever ago. It, it does. I don't think it was. <laughs> and uh, we scared the crap out of everyone in our household because we had to do a lot of random yelling and screaming and whatnot. Yeah, it was pretty fun. <laughs> How they do it is uh, different like sound bites they're going to put into their episode. So they gave us like a list of different... Uh, Just cues. 
Just cues, random yeah. cues like sound suspicious <laughs> for 30 seconds. <laughs> Some of them had a little bit more description. Most of them did not. <laughs> so you just got to kind of do it however you want. Have fun with it. And, you know, and they find a way to put it in there. Oh, we had a ton of fun. That's what we do. I think we were also the only people that did every single one of the cues. <laughs> Most people picked like one or two. We were like, hey, we're doing them all. <laughs> Send every, every single one of them. It was totally worth it. How often do you get to like scream suspiciously? And <laughs> I, we, you know what? We might actually put together the sound bites that we made for the episode and just put them together like in a full uh, a full stream and throw it up on our uh, group or on our, our Patreon. It's pretty funny. funny. Yeah, because when he pulled it up, I was like, what am I listening to? <laughs> it was us being like, oh, he <laughs> it was very interesting. They're like, act suspicious in a store. <laughs> You're like, what is that? All right. <laughs> so you just start like saying random stuff. Oh, we had a fun time. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. So uh, definitely a great podcast, uh, storytelling one. And I'm glad that we reached out to them and well, they reached out to us and, you know, we were able to kind of mesh our voices into their stuff so that was a lot of fun yeah check out their podcast if you like to just sit and listen to like a story being told with the different voices and the action and the sound effects it's they a lot do, of fun they do a lot of a lot of good jobs that doesn't make sense but they do a good job <laughs> is that what you're going for yeah they do, they a, do good a lot job. of good jobs they do a lot of good jobs i'm gonna say that from now on but a lot of things uh another thing that i was excited about Brandon told you guys a while ago that he was published in a book, and we finally got it. We did. Yeah, that was actually pretty cool. I was going to put that up on our uh, Facebook group. It's funny that you just mentioned that. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I'm proud of you. I'm all excited. I finally got to hold the book that you're in. It's a it's a weird book, and just to give you the backstory, I, I might have actually told you guys about it in a previous episode, but I did a little bit of investigative research on psychic vampires. And I dove deep. When I say dive deep, I mean, I was actually talking to self-proclaimed cults and I worked with a college professor that was doing psychic studies and, and helped him reform his psychic research project through YouTube. And I, I do believe I already told you guys about all this, but I ended up coming across the guy, Lono Vespertilio. I don't know how to pronounce that. I might have butchered uh, it, but... Author of the book, and I don't feel bad if I butchered his name, because quite frankly, the payment for my poem, as as you would call it, I call it a poetic babbling, that he put in the book, was the book itself, and he never sent me a copy. And to this day, well, not to this day, but till about a few weeks ago, I had no idea whether or not the book actually got published. I was waiting for my copy of it, and I contacted him a few times. He said he'd send it out. I lost all of his information, so I just basically chalked it up to a loss. We were chatting with a friend about it. I happened to Google just like my poem and see if it would come up. And it did. And I, it's called The Dark Crystals, a compilation of vampire poetry, which, by the way, I did not even know what the book was about. <laughs> I mean, you were in the whole <laughs> vampire research and all that. So you had to know it was some kind of vampire. And for the record, my poetic babbling was not actually about vampires at all. But I could but see it how fit. it could yeah. go that way. Totally. It could be read that way. It could be read many ways. That's what I liked about it. I was actually emulating uh, Edgar Allan Poe. I, I'm a big fan of his. And I wanted to kind of play with his uh, style of poetry, but from my perspective. And that's that's what I came up with. I will post the book and the 
the poetic babbling on our group and on our Facebook page. It's really good. You guys should be really excited. I will say, <laughs> while, while it's not a book book, like I didn't know what it was going to be. It's a book of poems. My poem, even though he uh, kind of mutilated it when he tried to edit it. Uh, just a few parts. It's not horrible, but I feel like that was the editor, though, not so much yeah. him. But uh, it is the first poem in the whole book, and considering I it am sets not the a tone poet at all, sets the tone for the whole book. It's awesome. I'm so proud of you. That's why I had to mention it. Well, thank you, love. Of course, and I also wanted to reach out and say thank you to everyone who reached out while we were on our break, while we were working on our podcast room. While the world was in madness and chaos, thank you for everybody who reached out and were like, where is your episodes? We promised you more was coming and here it is. Here we go. We're hitting it strong. We got a lot of things planned, a lot of fun stuff coming up. So thank you to everyone who reached out because there was a lot of you. We are back and that's a fact. And the good news is while we did take quite a bit of a break there we did not take a break on the research that leads to these episodes oh my so, goodness do i have topics galore the hardest for you part at this point is really just picking out which we're going to do first which we're going to do next i mean it, it, like we have so much stuff to to bring to you guys it's pretty exciting and i do have a pre-topic myself uh, oh do you this is just a little bit of uh a little bit of fun um if you you know i guess a matter of perspective, if you will. Fun as in intriguing. I, every once in a while, just explore websites. Like, I try to find the most bizarre websites that are out there. We should do browser-to-browser browser comparisons to see. Yeah, <laughs> you might you might see some other things if we do browser-to-browser <laughs> comparisons. Fair but, enough. Uh, <laughs> so, a long time ago, I found a website called Hell.com, and I don't know, I, any 90s childs out there may know what I'm talking about when I say this. Right now, there's a little bit of uh, buzz about it because they went to sell it, and I mean, they were asking for like several million dollars just because of how many organic clicks the website gets without any searching whatsoever, people just typing it in, but they had a like artsy like I, I mean, these were website developers that were really, really weird website developers way back in the '90s, making cutting-edge websites that you'd never seen before. The website was all like hidden, and you had to be part of a group to actually view the website. They had a day where they opened up the website where everybody could go on and see these websites that were being developed by countless independent web developers. And I happened to be on it that day and got to go through and look and check out some of these like really bizarre websites. In addition to that, somebody mirrored the entire website when they did that. And they ended up having to delete hell.com, all of the information that was on there. But the mirror websites where they copied every piece of data that existed on their servers and then unleashed it to the interwebs. It was pretty cool. A big thing back in the 90s. Anywho, had nothing to do with what I'm <laughs> bringing to you today. But hey, you know what? That's why they're pre-topics. But I just try to find stuff like that because that was really cool. Not everybody knew about it. You know, you'd talk about it with some people. A few people already knew about it. What I found recently, I got quite a few, but the one I'm going to tell you guys about today, I'm wondering who 
has what it takes to actually go check out the website? Have you ever wondered when and what time, so what day and time, you will expire? Your death date. I'm not all about that. I know, right? It's not for everybody. I'm wondering who actually would go on there and do this. There is a website. Where you put in some information. They're not asking for like socials or anything like that. And they're so. like, well, what's your mother's maiden name? <laughs> mother's maiden, and I'll yeah. tell you when you're going to die. Address. Where were you born? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, they, they ask you just some uh, some information about yourself to, to narrow in your death date. And they tell you what day and time it is that you will die. You know, they made a whole movie about this app. They did. This is not an app, but they did make a movie about this. The actual website is deathdate.info slash s slash death. And if you're willing and you go on there and you actually, you know, type in the information and get your death date, share it on our Facebook, Spirits, Oddities, and Mysteries group. That would be awesome. I would love to see who actually goes out there and does this. I will also post the website in case you didn't write that down. On our Facebook group, check it out and see if you can do it. Or if, even if you think you can, if you go to, if it kind of freaks you out and you don't. I don't know. I'm not all about that. I'm going to live my life. <laughs> I, like, if it was real and I can't say whether or not it is, would you want to know your death date? Would you want to know, like, nope. oh, cool, I have 40 years to live or 50 years to live or six days to live? I mean... <laughs> Would uh, it, I like to live by my own intuition, so... Would it change the way you live uh, your life? I don't know, and I don't think I'd want to know. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's what I wanted to bring to you guys. It is pretty interesting. I found it, and I was like, oh, yeah. I have not done it, by the way. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I might have to set up a like you know uh, what? With all your, contest to see if I do it. You know, you don't do it, because you had all that whole thing with the Magic 8-Ball and I ain't about to try to tempt fate, okay? <laughs> I don't know if you guys know about that one, but I did uh, use a magic eight ball when I was working at a university, and we were just joking around with it, asking stupid questions. I think somebody pointed out, like, what types of questions you're not supposed to ask. So, of course, I did. You I, never. <laughs> right? I asked the eight ball if I would be getting in an accident. I believe I said that day, and it said yes. And I was like, ah, whatever. Went to lunch, came back, somebody blew a yellow light, like slammed in front of me on a turn. Had I had no ability to stop. It was either going to oncoming traffic and hit them or slow down as much as I could and hit the car. I did. Everybody was fine. I ended up getting a bunch of money. But uh, <laughs> I did, however, get in an accident for the first time, totaling my car after asking the Magic 8-Ball. So. so let's not tempt fate, shall well, we? Well, I'll have to see. If you guys can convince me, maybe I'll do it. I yeah. will cut you. <laughs> and I know where you sleep. Remember that. She says no, so you'll have to convince her as well. <laughs> well, uh, besides that, the only thing that I have to say is, I don't know about everybody else out there in the listening world, but I'm super excited that Megan Boswell got indicted on 19 counts for killing her daughter because I want her to get hit with the actual book itself, like everything in the book and then just smack her with the book. Cheers to that. <laughs> but besides that, do you have any more pre-tapas no, or anything that, else No, that's you my pre-topic. You go ahead. All right. I know. I kind of packed a bunch in there because I... Well, we haven't heard know, from haven't, They haven't heard from us in forever. I haven't talked to the, the listening world in so long. I had a lot to say. 
But I guess I'll jump right in then. All right. All right. I'm going to go with a mystery to jump back in. A mystery? Yes. I like mysteries. Me too. This one... Is it aliens? Is n- Oh, you know what? <laughs> you tell me at the end. I will, throughout <laughs> and at the end. Okay. Well, I'm going to go with the Sodder family mystery or the Sodder children mystery. Depending on how you want to look it up, you'll get the same results online. This is actually a topic that takes place Christmas Eve 1945 and this family of 12 lived in Fayetteville, West Virginia. Father George and the mother Janine both were Italians who had immigrated here and had 10 children. I knew they had to be Catholic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this story does not go so well with them. Uh Uh-oh. But the when they moved here, they were very well respected in their community. And the father, George, he owned his own um, trucking company where he brought dirt and coal and whatnot to local businesses. And he built his company from the scratch. He's very well respected. However, he did have some pushback from the community. Pushback? From his business? No, no. Because he was very boisterous about the fact that he hated Mussolini. Now, this was at the time of World War II, and Mussolini was a asshole dictator who was just running around being an asshole. (laughs) But he had a, a very strong following. So a lot of people didn't like the fact that he was talking out and saying bad things about Mussolini. It was like a touchy subject back then. All right. Sadly, tragedy struck the Sutter house on Christmas Eve. He got suicided. <laughs> no, oh. it was aliens. <laughs> Not there yet. <laughs> oh, sorry. Doesn't sound like I aliens. spoiled it. Sounds like he went political and got killed so far. <laughs> you might be onto something, but I don't know. Christmas Eve this year. Uh, this year? No. The year I was talking about. What year is that? 1945. All right. All right, 1945. Christmas Eve, 1945. The youngest of all 10 children were downstairs playing with some gifts that they had received earlier in the day, pre-Christmas gifts, if you will, from their older sister. So they were allowed to stay up later than usual. Aww. While the rest of the family all went to bed. The phone rang at about 1230. The mother got up answered the phone and there was a woman laughing and there was party noises in the background and she thought this was very strange and she just told them i feel like that we were doing the recordings for that other show what was the name uh the the show we just did oh scared shirtless scared shirtless yeah i felt i was ready to do the the party noises in the background oh yeah (laughs) having fun yay yay cheers um, so yeah, we that's need to start much. adding that's, those. There into you our go. Answer, we'll yeah. just make our own little sound effects. There you go. We need some uh, volunteers. <laughs> but so she got this call, and it was really weird. And she said that it was a wrong. She goes, "Sorry, wrong number." And then there's a weird woman just laughing at her as she's telling her that it's a wrong number. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. And she hangs up, and she goes out into the living room to check on the children. And the lights are on, and the front door is unlocked. However. No kids. And she is like, foolish kids. Gonna leave the door unlocked. Lights on. 
I thought she was going to be like, that's bizarre. I have children. No, she <laughs> assumed that they went up and went to bed because it was 1230 and they normally went to bed way earlier. She just locked up the door, turned off the lights, went back to bed. A little bit later, she woke because a loud thumping came from the roof above her. And <laughs> you and these damn sound effects. <laughs> Um, we need a more. We need to add a, another dimension to our podcast. Oh, it's a, okay, it's the comeback. No, we we gotta add the the smell of vision if we're gonna do anything. All right, we'll mail you guys scents <laughs> while you're listening to our scratch episodes. and sniffs <laughs> as you go through. Join our mailing list. <laughs> smell our whiskey. Smell <laughs> the smell of World War Two. <laughs> um. Anyways, so she she woke up and there's big thud on the roof and she dismissed it. And went right back to sleep. About a half hour later, about 1.30 in the morning, she woke up one more time. This time, she woke up to a room full of smoke and a burning house. The fire... Are we sending them the smell of smoke? Yes, right now. Okay. <laughs> the fire was coming from George's office that he used to run his company. And both her and George started calling, waking up their children... And the staircase became engulfed in flames, leaving them helpless to run out the front door and leave five of their children upstairs. What? There was no way to get to them. I, what? They tried calling the fire department before they ran out of the house. All right. Line was dead. Uh, ran outside and Jenny ran to the neighbors and she's like, I got to call for the fire department. George how, and... How big is this house? I mean, there were freaking 12 people living there. It was a pretty big-ass house. But like two stories or three stories. I feel like you can they jump had, out a second-story window. They had, I think they said seven rooms in the basement and then like three rooms upstairs and then the attic where the, the younger kids all shared like a big joint Oh, they space. were in the attic, so they were like... They were up. Trapped. Way up. So George, Jenny, and four of their children... Marion, Sylvia, John, and George Jr. were all outside. Like I said, Jenny ran to the neighbor's house to call the fire department. However, the neighbor's phone lines were also down. So the remaining father and siblings tried to climb up the ladder that he kept next to the house to the attic to get the children sleeping upstairs. However, their ladders were gone. Completely gone. They went to go grab the big barrels of water on the sides of the house, frozen solid, because, like I said, this is Christmas Eve, and it's cold as fuck. Uh Uh-oh. Well, then they went- What were they going to do with that anyway? They were going to try to douse fire so they could get upstairs so they could- I mean, it's 1945, like- (laughs) Like, just carry around (laughs) huge- Buckets. (laughs) Let's go. There's four kids out there, plus a dad. Let's go. That's something. Hey, it's a- Since the water was frozen and they were just without any other resources, the dad decided that he would get his uh, work trucks and pull them up and they were going to stand on it and just climb up as far as they could onto the windows. But when they got to the trucks that worked the previous morning, neither of them would start and they were dead. Kids must have been playing with a Ouija board up there. (laughs) Oh my goodness gracious. Because of all of this, it finally got to the point where the only thing that they could do was stand and watch their house burn down to the ground 
with their five kids inside of it. The neighbor did go into town, got to a local pub, and they called the fire department. Man, it sucks to live in a world without cell phones. For real, right? (laughs) But here's the really shitty part. It was Christmas Eve. Nobody was at the fire department. And they are, well, the people who got the call about it were like, well, the house is already burnt down by the time we got the message. So the fire department didn't show up until 10 a.m. the next morning. Holy shit. And there was nothing left. Did the kids like wake up? Didn't they just jump out the windows? So this is how this is super strange and a mystery because it gets pretty bizarre from here on. I mean, it sounds pretty bizarre so far. <laughs> there, well, I guess the water being frozen is not a surprise. Their yeah. ladder's being gone, and the truck's not starting, and their phone not working, and the friggin' I mean, like, fire department not working. Don't be suspicious. Don't <laughs> be suspicious. Right. Yeah, like, it, it kind of sounds like there's a lot of weird things going on, but in the moment of panic and, like, shit's all going wrong at once, like bad case of bad luck i don't know like kids played with maybe played with the ladder or like whatever on the bright side they still have five kids left right (laughs) i guess so (laughs) silver lining silver lining there it is well when the fire department did come and they inspected the ashes that were left where their basement was did they get the christmas presents out though no (sighs) (laughs) i don't think that was their concern i've seen that episode of the simpsons I have two. Now, when the coroner showed up, he came in, took a look around, and he decided that, yes, all five children had passed away in the fire, and the reason why there was no remains was because they were burnt up. This sounds unlikely. I've seen CSI. Well, you know what? I did a little bit of research on cremation, and for anybody out there who doesn't know this, it normally takes... About three hours, two to three hours, at about fourteen to eighteen hundred degrees. That's hot. And then once they're done with that, you're actually left with large bone fragments and like large pieces of bone and teeth and any any calcium derived part of our body. Yeah, very difficult to completely burn a body. And even crematoriums after that two to three hours of burning add the remains into a blender. And for another hour to two hours, they actually blend it until it's a fine powder to get rid of the big that. chunks. That's yeah, I know. Horrifying. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Um, so uh, that, that does sound a little weird that they would be burnt to no Oblivion? remains. Yeah, no, that's not a thing. And a typical house fire is only about 1,000 to 1,100 degrees. They can get hotter, but in general... It's also weird that the, that it could have happened because the house only burned for 45 minutes before it was gone. The whole house burned to the ground in 45 minutes? Sure did. That's impressive. It does yeah. sound hot, though. Yeah, very. <laughs> like, yeah, And some people say that they think, oh, well, the, the chimney, the fireplace chimney held a little extra heat in, so that's why it helped to incinerate all of everything. I still don't buy but, that for a second. You'd find something. Well, this is why it's a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> the they also ruled that the fire was um an accidental fire and it started because of poor electrical wiring in the house sure that that they found but <laughs> the weird thing was until the house was almost they didn't even have down, electricity back then no they did and <laughs> and until it was uh almost burnt down their christmas lights were going strong so there was no power shortage that happened from electrical failure that would have 
Well, I mean, the houses run on multiple circuits. So I would say it's possible a different circuit could have had a uh, malfunction, a over. Like, electricity sucked back then. Let's be real. Like it could have had. So I, like that one's not completely. The Christmas lights were on, and they watched their house burn down with the Christmassy. Yeah. So I like a circuit could have got hot and started a fire. But either way, how the heck did they figure that out? If there's no remains of people, but wires are still like they were able yeah, to figure out what caused is, it there's a lot of weird things that yeah. they keep going on and on about well now we're gonna get even weirder but we're gonna rewind a few months before the fire happened all right all righty months before this george installed uh, some some new appliances and when he did this he had the electrical company come out and verify that they had proper wiring and that there was no hazards. Convenient. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but even stranger is that a man came to their door and he told George that he was looking for work. Now, George said there was no work to be done and he pointed to their electric box and he said that he needed to replace it. And when George was like, I just had my property looked at by the electrical company. I don't have to replace that. Don't bullshit me. Don't bullshit a bullshitter. Right? The man told George, this is going to cause a fire someday. And then he left. Which, maybe he was salty and he just said that, right? Or he was mafia. Well, shortly after that, another man came to their door and it was a life insurance salesman. Oh, shit. He told the man that he did not want to purchase life insurance through his policy, and in this process, uh, they somehow got onto politics, and Mussolini's name was dropped, and they started getting more and more heated. And the conversation ended with the man saying, this is a quote from George saying what the man said, said, your goddamn house is going up in smoke, and your children are going to be destroyed, and you are going to be paid for the dirty remarks you have been making about Mussolini. Mystery solved. <laughs> right? <laughs> Close the book. We figured it out. I wish it was that easy. I mean, it sounds pretty easy at this point. I'm not even saying aliens. That's how easy it sounds. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm, I didn't think you were going to go with aliens on this one. Well, the family they started putting all of the things that led up to the fire and the weird things that happened during the fire in the, the they didn't think that this was an accidental fire and they didn't think that their kids were in there because as you were pointing out before no one was screaming at the window right no one was pounding on the window there was they didn't see their kids they were just watching their house burn like it's plausible it's plausible With, it, maybe the smoke, the smoke got, them, got and, to and, but them yes all of them like five of the children not one was like holy cow there's a lot of smoke in this room maybe i should yell right well jenny also thought all of this was strange and she did uh the that times google and went to a crematorium and actually talked that to Times version of Google. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Go do your own footwork. And she did talk to Sounds exhausting. <laughs> right? The people that worked at the crematorium and they did point out the same things that I pointed out. And they they also had an eyewitness who drove past the house. They were driving a bus 
And they drove past on Christmas Eve, and they had reported that they saw fireballs being thrown at the solder house. And they didn't say anything at the time? Like, oh, that's odd. I mean, what were they going to do? Like, flip open my cell phone that I don't have and call the police? Find a police officer? (laughs) Let them know that there's fireballs being chucked at the side of a home? Like, that sounds bad. Right? But... I don't know. I thought it was weird at the time, but after the house burnt down, I thought maybe I should <laughs> maybe say something. Maybe I should say something. Well, they will find later that there were some strange things found in the remains, but we won't talk about that yet. They had a phone line worker come out to fix the phone lines for the street, because obviously everybody didn't have a phone. And when he climbed up to fix it, he found out that their lines had been cut not burned from the fire okay yeah now back to this guy who threatened to kill them all so somebody really had to like climb up a freaking pole and cut it yeah that's a thing that's crazy i mean they also found the missing ladder it was was it on the pole about 80 (laughs) feet away thrown over the embankment so that was a little weird yeah this is definitely not an accidental fire (laughs) no So they kept talking to people and trying to just find information from wherever they can. And they find a waitress. She came forward from a nearby town and said that she actually served the missing children breakfast Christmas morning. What? However, the people who brought them would not let them speak. And she... Didn't think anything of it, and she served them, and they left. That was it. All right. Well, they're alive, at least. Well, with this information, they went to the police, and they were like, Hey, yo, this wasn't a death thing. My kids aren't dead. They're gone. They're kidnapped. Help me out. They were like, No, we ruled no foul play. You're good. (laughs) You're good, bro. You're good. They didn't, they didn't like that, but that's what they got. However, the craziest thing is, I think I got this solved. Because some of the articles that I read said that the coroner who confirmed all five kids were dead and the life insurance person were the same person. <laughs> Was it the same guy who tried to sell <laughs> life insurance? That's what, that's what I'm saying. Like, half of the articles that I read said that the... Life insurance person is also the town's coroner, and half of them say that they're two separate things. So I'm like, well, I mean, it seems pretty cut and dry when you think about it that way. Yeah, if that's the case, case solved. (laughs) Yeah, well, there's still no kids, so not case solved. Well, case Uh, solved as in it's not a mystery. (laughs) (laughs) Well, since... The police wouldn't help them. They decided that they would put up a $5,000 reward for their missing children. That's a lot of money back then. Uh-huh. It's like $1,000 a kid. Yeah, which is like a hell of a lot more. What if they just like return the favorite ones? Like, Did they put extra money on those? Hmm. <laughs> oh my gatos. Uh, so, a woman came forward when she saw the, the pictures on the poster for the reward. And she said that the children were, this is a direct quote from her police statement. She worked at a hotel and she said the children were accompanied by two women and two men. 
all of Italian extraction. I do not remember the exact date, however, the entire party did register at the hotel and stayed in a large room with several beds. They registered at about midnight. I tried to talk to the children in a friendly manner, but the man appeared hostile and refused to allow me to talk to the children. One of the men looked at me in a hostile manner. He turned around and began talking rapidly in Italian. Immediately, the whole party stopped talking to me. I sensed that I was being frozen out, and so I said nothing more, and they left early in the morning. Why do none of these people contact the police? I mean... That sounds like an abduction, at least. They didn't know. They had five kids, and none of them were like, help me. They were all just quiet while these... Yeah, but you think, I don't know, I don't think the police would have done anything anyway, because it sounds like they were involved, but, uh, or at least willing to look the other way. So after hearing this... Nope, we said no foul play. (laughs) No foul play! No foul play! Uh, After hearing about this, the Sodders actually contacted the FBI, and they were like, please, just throw us a bone, help. And they got a letter back from J. Edgar Hoover... And he said, although I would like to be of service, the matter related appears to be of local character and does not come within the investigative jurisdiction of this bureau. However, he did offer to help the Fayetteville Police Department if they allowed the FBI to come in and help with the investigation. Guess what they said? I'm going to go with no. Yep. No they, foul play. No foul play. We don't need help. These parents are just grieving. They don't they don't know what they're talking about. Private investigator? Sounds like he's got money. Well, over the next few years, they kept getting tips. And they, they saw a picture. George actually saw a picture in a newspaper of one of his daughters or someone he believed was one of his daughters. And he drove all the way to New York to find out. If it was her. However, her parents were like, you are not talking to our daughter. No. And they shut him out and they wouldn't let her let him see her. Which, I mean, legit, if it was our kid and somebody right. showed up, I'd be like, hey, fuck off. But, you know, or if we had a stolen kid, I'd also say, hey, fuck off. So, right. you know, what do you, <laughs> it know doesn't what really help. <laughs> so the, uh, the family decided in... 1945 that they were going to excavate the grounds where the family home once stood when they did this they found a few bone fragments and something that appeared to be organ like so they sent it in to be tested now the organ they sent to the local morgue and when it was tested it turned out that it was a cow's liver which they thought was weird because they did not have a beef liver on hand. <laughs> All right. But the vertebrates that were human were sent to the Smithsonian to be tested. Once they arrived, they did test them, and it turned out that it was a vertebrae from a 16 to 22-year-old male. Their son was 14, and the bones had not been affected by fire or burning or heat they had they were just like clean bones they weren't burnt bones so they also were serial killers (laughs) they also just happened to have some bones on their property but uh the weird thing is when they went to go pick up 
their stuff, the cow liver was gone. The coroner was like, I don't know what happened to it. It's not human, so we probably just threw it away. I mean, that seems plausible. Right. (laughs) But more evidence, like, kind of slipping away from them. Yeah. And the Smithsonian had it, the bones. Yeah. And they, too, actually ended up going missing. Yeah, no. (laughs) Right? Isn't that weird? Yeah. It's not like the Italian mob is involved or anything, right? (laughs) Like, (laughs) With the new information, though, knowing that there was no way that anything in there could have been from their family, their children, they upped the reward to $10,000 if someone could help them locate their children. They... Received an onslaught of tips, and with every tip that they received, they traveled this country to find out if any of them were worth following. Their biggest tip, however, came 20 years after the fire. Jenny received a picture in the mail. It was a a young man in his 20s, and on the back it said, Louis Satter, I love Brother Frankie, little boys. A90132 or 35. The man in the picture looked like it could be a grown up version of their son. But he was 14, so he'd be like 34. No, this was their nine year old. Oh, okay. So he would be 29. And he did have a lot of the same facial structures, including the type of nose, the pointed upward chin, a lot of. What was the numbers? What? So when they looked into it, they were postal numbers. So what they did was they hired a private detective to go to Finally, Kentucky. Finally, Jesus. To go find where this letter came from and track down the man who looks like their son who sent a picture with a message that sounds like, I love my sister, my brothers, love you, area code. Sent in the private detective. He went to Kentucky to go find said person. And was never heard from again. The private eye? Yep. You know some shit's going down when a private detective... And this is 20 years later. Yeah. When he goes missing, you know shit's going down, right? Did he go missing with their money? Like, pay him in advance, or...? I mean, they paid him, but, like, wouldn't you think that's kind of bad for reoccurring business? Like, he was a legit private detective. They had the money. They had the resources. And they usually don't pay the whole thing in advance. Yeah, like, I don't... Like, they paid him, but... They, I don't know if they did everything, but he just done gone. Disappeared. So, kind of sketch, if you ask me. Yeah. <laughs> they did spend the rest of their life looking for their children. George actually passed away in 1968. He searched for his kids till the day he died. And in his last few years, he pointed out... Something that is probably way before his time to point out. But he said that he felt like he knew that his children were alive and that people weren't realizing how much children sell for. And he pushed this and pushed this and people didn't want to hear it. And they pushed back and they just kept trying to push the whole story under the rug. He passed away in 1968 now, Jenny dressed in black for the rest of her life in mourning, but still looked for her children, still followed up leads until she passed away in 1989. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, like, she hung around and kept 
trying to find them for a long time. But still to this day, the very youngest sibling who is the survivor of the fire, who was two at the time, still is trying to find her siblings and is still telling the story and trying to get the word out and looking for anyone who can help her solve this mystery. Bonkers, right? Quite. That's crazy. Yeah. That's what I got for you this week. That was that was uh, I was on the edge of my seat. That was and no aliens involved. Definitely some uh, politics involved. It sounds like I guess, but man, just talking, powerful people talking like, shit. I mean, they got the cops to like hush, 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 hush. They got the power shut down. This was organized. This was not like this wasn't a one kidnapping. person being like muhaha. I'm gonna do something. Like, like they may have been connected through the channels uh, that the human trafficking had at that time which is probably likely anyway but uh i I mean this was clearly a well-connected group of individuals that kidnapped these kids and were willing to to do some things that were like uh, out in the open took them out to eat like that's that's ballsy you have to know that you're covered if you're gonna do that they took them to a hotel i mean Grant, on one hand, you're like, well, they got to do something. But most of the time, you'd think they'd like try to sneak them in through the back. They wouldn't let them be seen. These people were so full of themselves and, and the power that they had that they were willing to be seen in the process, knowing they could get away with it anyway. I will say, though, that if the channels that the Sauter family was following, the leads that they were following, all of the serious ones where they think that they found their children... All of them ended up, like, doing well, and that's how they found them. Like, one of them was, like, head of a nunnery. What is it called? I thought it was called a nunnery. No, it's not a nunnery. Orphanage? No. Like, she was I a, don't know what you're talking about. She was a nun, and she, like, was high up in it and they she like got recognition in a paper and then they followed up that lead or you know the one daughter they saw him in the paper in new york and she was doing well in school and that's why she was there so hopefully yes they all were like the solder father thought that they were sold as sold to parents who were trying to adopt but couldn't get around the the red tape okay so that's it hopefully you know and if you guys are out there and you're listening to this, like, I like phone home. How many of them could still be alive or would still be without like? I mean, see, so that this was 1945, and so it was if they the, were like the two-year-old is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Sylvia, she's the one who's still looking for everyone. So that's 65 plus 20 years, so 85. 87 for the two-year-old yeah and up for the rest of the children like uh, uh, yeah i guess but don't take your secret to the grave there was a two-year-old a three-year-old i mean at this point like the parents if they were adopted the, the parents are dead the best hope we could have would be the younger siblings of those children could potentially come forward and be like yeah i thought this was weird or i found a letter that like you know yeah this could be it something like yes, that like that definitely. would be the best case mm-hmm. or their kids if they had kids their kids might come across something after they died that like could lead back to this but i don't even know what documents could exist yeah i mean that's crazy it's yeah bonkers 
But Sucked one one child for sure remaining still looking for their sibling. That's, yes. Uh, wow. And child as in 90-year-old. Like, Is she 90? Well, Is that like how 45 you plus so 65. 65 plus, oh, plus 20. Plus 20. Years. So... 65, 75, 85, plus, plus she was two. two. So, yeah, 87. Keep on trucking, girlfriend. Wow. All right. Well, uh, now I'm, my topic's going to be a little bit more lighthearted, but it will make your hey, brain hurt. So, we'll cool. go with that. All right. <laughs> All right. I expect nothing less from you. I know. I know. <laughs> so, actually, the topic that I have, or at least the topic that I have and how it begins, is something that many of our listeners may have already seen on Facebook. It was one of those things that was just kind of floating around out there that I clicked on and was like, huh, I wonder what, like, is there anything behind this? And then set it aside to look at later, forgot about it for a little bit, went back. And did a little bit of diving into it and found out that it was, in fact, accurate for the most part. Even the the verbiage of the meme that I originally saw turned out to be actually somewhat true. But uh, a to topic start, on a meme. A topic off a meme. Like, that's, that's what introduced me to the topic. But then I looked into it and was like, oh, this is really interesting. I like it already. So I'm going to start this off by saying, because I, I don't know how many people actually know this part of it. It's pretty much common knowledge for most i think i don't know if it's even true or not but scientists you know they have determined that dinosaurs likely at least some of the the species of dinosaurs that existed became birds you've heard this before right i have heard this okay yes. and now the new like age science is basically saying oh we were wrong about these like giant lizard like creatures we saw on land before time and jurassic pretty park. much our entire childhood Rawr. jurassic park all the documentaries discovery channel like everybody made these dinosaurs out to be big green lizard like dinos now they're saying eh, you know what turns out they all had feathers i don't know if that's true or not but they are claiming that, like, they were wrong, which is... They're all big chickens. They're and, Like, on one hand, it's like, are they just really trying to get people re-excited about dinosaurs again and trying to, like, throw new information out there to draw more money in, get people excited about it again? Or did they really, like, update their research and be like, hey, we didn't know this then, but we know this now. Here's why. And, like, this is what they've come to. I don't know, and quite frankly, for the sake of this topic, I don't really care. <laughs> Good talk. But uh, it turns out, and this is where the meme uh, struck my attention, scientists accidentally created dino birds in a lab. Shut your mouth. <laughs> no joke. So, it, like, while that is loosely worded to say the least it is actually true they inadvertently and you could call that accidentally created dino birds life always finds a way <laughs> i know right <laughs> so and this is where it gets really cool like essentially when you look at a bird what what would you say is the like defining characteristic aside from flying that a bird has wings aside from flying feathers <laughs> what Okay, a feathers. Beak? There you go. Well, you get there eventually. <laughs> Come on. So birds generally, just... I believe all of them, have beaks, right? This is what they wanted to focus on for the sake of this particular study. If dinosaurs became birds, when and why... Did their face fall off? Well, not fall <laughs> off, but have but an like... addition to. They okay. developed beaks, right? And lost their teeth. 
They lost their entire. So there's a so, jaw structure. That's what I'm saying. Their face the, fell the whole off. Line, yeah, right. Okay. So we'll say fall off. I'm, I'm okay with that because it actually goes along with what I'm saying here. Like their face completely changed and formed into beaks. And what's crazy to me, especially when you look at it from like an evolutionary standpoint, the in-between is what doesn't make sense. Like did their teeth like just start pointing outward and like turn into the beak? Or did like it really like and it's completely different material than what like the teeth of the dinosaurs would have had it's not made of the same right stuff it's not like the same calcium was like but i I mean maybe i guess does like is it teeth is that what makes it like i don't think so it doesn't look anything like teeth uh, bird beaks right no they're like colorful and oh yeah now there's all kinds of bird beaks and that's where the whole millions of years of evolution but my point like well, how do you go from a to b what was in between and have we ever discovered anything of what is in between and and this is all important when it comes to my take on this whole thing but we'll get there in a second first i'm going to go with the the, the deep dive into <laughs> this particular topic or this particular meme i should say in order to find out more about the beak They isolated the genes, or DNA, of what they concluded could potentially be what turns into the bird beak by studying the facial structure of other animals like mice, alligators, lizards, turtles, etc. Okay? What's here that's not here? This is science. (laughs) Like, this animal has this, this animal, what is extra that doesn't exist in these other animals. And they were able to isolate the genetic code, if you will, of the beak. Then what they did is fascinating to me. They suppressed the genes of the what they determined to be the beak by coating them with tiny beads of an inhibiting an inhibiting substance. Okay. Fancy science mumbo jumbo for where they essentially turned off that part of the genetic code. Okay. They blocked that part of the code and then let them grow into embryos. What's particularly interesting to me is that it wasn't like, you know, when we watched Jurassic Park, they're like, hey, we had these missing pieces. So we added this DNA from another right. animal. They were like, yeah, let's just throw some shit in here. And here's and what we yeah. They did not do any of that. All they did, they were they were chickens. If you have, is that they, chickens? They just simply turned off the code for the beak, and what happened next is fascinating to me. They had they grew into faceless birds. No, that's what should have happened. <laughs> that's that's what I like. My scientific would be like my what is it when you make a, a guess about what's going to happen? Your scientific, your uh, I was going to say uh, your. Dang it, that's on the tip of my tongue. Uh, prediction, but I, I know the yeah, word. Yeah, but that thing, for, yeah. like in class, you always had to say, like, I think this is what's going to happen. So, what's crazy about this is the genetic code reverted back to dormant genes that existed with this other code essentially laid on top of it. When that code was turned off, they formed round faces. They actually went back to what looked like. Freaking dino chickens. Dino chickens. Did they get teeth? They were in early stages of development because, as the scientists said, they did not allow them to come to term because of ethical violations Uh, that could potentially exist. So they know that it formed actual faces. And here's the thing. These scientists were like, we could have let them grow to full term. And 
personally think they did. <laughs> We'd never hear about it. <laughs> we because would never know. You could not put me in front of the red button. I've said this a few I times. Know. If I was that far in the prop, like, let's just go ahead and see what happens. What's like, that movie we just watched that, I, where I they did the same that, like, thing? I forget that. Splice? Splice, Spl- Splice, Splice, yeah. Splice, yeah. Right, on. right on. Let you go. So, yeah. Like, this is what's crazy. Now, I, it could be argued, and I'm not saying this is not the case at all. It could be argued that this is validation of their theory, and I almost had that word you were looking for, their prediction, but if evolution, as we've learned it from like Dar- Darwinian evolution, is true, then you would think the genetic code that makes up the mouth would have gradually changed over time and would have slowly developed something that eventually turned into a beak. It would have slowly morphed and morphed and morphed and morphed and morphed and eventually you'd end up with instead of this rounded face a pointed face with a bone like structure and you know a beak you know da-da. but now they're saying like kind of like how we got all this extra code and junk in our body they're like that's dormant dna right dormant. so like if something was to block something in us then we'd have some random oh, so that was immediately what i said all right so let, we happened to predict at some point somebody came up with a theory that dinosaurs became birds and exactly how that came up with that i don't know but what if we did this with other animals if we turned off you know like what allows octopus to to change colors or whatever i guess that one's kind of a it would just not change <laughs> colors but, <laughs> but all right so like you know the dog tail you know, like turn off that would it just not have a tail would something else be in its place i don't know i'm just trying to come up with an example on the fly here the point is like there are things that make animals unique and if we turned off those things it, what would you end up with a platypus like is a platypus like all of the animals combined and like <laughs> all of their actual like codes <laughs> that were suppressed it's like Wah! they got like left behind and a platypus just kind of like formed out of the ground i don't know i don't know what i am here's what i do like those are all the things i don't know but here's what i do know what blows my mind is this exactly emulates how coders code things when you're developing codes for programs. Oh, no. Don't break my brain like this. I'm telling you. So, like, when you're coding for an app or a website or, and I'm just going super layman's here, if you do something and then you decide later, like, oh, I want it to do this or look like this, and you've got piles and piles and piles of code that you've put together, what many coders do is they take shortcuts and they're like, okay, instead of going back and finding that code that caused it to do this, we're going to lay a code on top of this that that code knows to bypass the other code. So you're like essentially turning off old code with the new code and, and having it overlay on top of the old code. People do this kind of stuff with websites and apps and programs all the time. It's not the only way to do it. You can go back, isolate, and, and replace the code. But a lot of times, this is a shortcut that makes things a whole lot easier. So, essentially, if we decided, like, we're done with dinos, a, a game developer, so to speak, and you're like... I knew you were going to make us all ones and zeros. We are ones and zeros. I'm not even done <laughs> I yet. I saw this coming. I knew it. it. You take the dinos. You're done with them, like, for the, like that part of the game. Where you're like, I'm just going to make birds and you're using the the same basic genetic code or the computer code 
of the dino and then turning it into the bird, let's assume it did have feathers, but even if it didn't, you would add code to it to form the feathers, you'd add code to it to form the wings, add code to it to form the beak, and now you have, like, without having to remake this whole code to make birds, you now just made a bird out of the dinos. And, and like, that actually makes sense with the results that they got why else would that dormant code still be existing in the background if it was an evolutionary thing if it slowly transitioned from a to b or even let's say it's mutant you know like they like a potential accident happened in the genetic code and then like that's the other side of it like it was a mutation and then that mutation happened to cause a benefit so therefore it lasted and the, the non-mutated version of it died off and yada yada. I get the gist of it. It doesn't make sense why, in my mind, that code would still be existing underneath. Why didn't we end up with just a faceless freaking abomination? <laughs> well, it wouldn't be an abomination because then we'd just call it a zur chicken. <laughs> like a something, you know? No, I'm saying it would have no face. It would have like... It wouldn't be able to survive. This is actually why it's an ethical violation to mute like animals to oh, to because yeah, you can because... literally end up with something that from the moment of conception, it's always in pain. It's incapable of eating. It's incapable of surviving. And because we don't understand the code as well as we'd like to, like you can end up creating something that is suffering by existing. They actually talk about that in Splice, that movie we're watching. Yes. So, like, that is a potential outcome, but it didn't happen. It changed into a pre-existing code. It changed into what code laid underneath and formed a traditional mouth as opposed to a beak mouth. That is fascinating to That me. is terrifying to me. Also terrifying. But I also <laughs> hope that, well, I mean, like... The curiosity in me hopes those things actually exist, and I'm going to see pictures of them on the dark web, which I'll be searching for in the near future here. That being said, <laughs> it gets better. But so wait, there's more. The fact that DNA even works so similarly to computer coding, when we have like leading scientists in the world, some of the most brilliant minds out there, you've got Elon Musk, I'm just naming a couple here. Now. You've got Neil deGrasse Tyson, extraordinarily intelligent people who are, for all intent and purpose, convinced that we are actually living in a simulation. Go watch their YouTubes. I believe I shared a few on the Facebook. I've talked about it more in depth. I'm not going to get into that right now, although I am going to briefly get sidetracked on Neil deGrasse Tyson because I came up with something pretty cool, but I'll save that for a moment. Remind me if I forget. You've got these fascinating, like, extraordinarily intelligent minds that are like, no, we are living in a simulation. Like, that is more logical than us not living in a simulation. Then you've got our DNA so perfectly emulates code that at the University of Washington, they successfully infected a computer by hiding malicious program coded in a strand of DNA. For the love of all goodness. So they had concerns that hospitals, because of the way the software was written with no safety protocols in place from this type of attack, they were like, no, you could actually implant malicious 
coding into our DNA, into blood, into urine, into whatever whatever they're sampling, and you could affect their infect their whole system with malicious virus. This is bonkers. So they did it. They what? actually hid the the code in that. DNA. They did. Uh, the University of Washington. They successfully pulled this off. I'm not. This is not the topic, so I'm not going deep into it on this episode. But look it up. Check it out. They're claiming at this point that it's not something that needs to be of great concern. It was uh, simplistic in the way that they they pulled. They weren't like super in depth with the virus, but they like first it was can we do it at all? Then how complex could you get it? And the answer to that question is very complex, which I'm about to get into in a second here. MIT successfully has created a biocomputer. These are computers that rather than using flash drives, hard drives, RAM, like as we're like the, the, the hard drives that we use today, like on the little disks that you plug into your computer and all that, instead of using those, they're using cells to Squishy. store data. Squishy data. Squishy data, living data. Like, that's what our cells do. So, a lot of people don't realize this, but every cell in the human body is capable of storing. Like, you know, cells tiny, right? Tiny, tiny, tiny. 1.5 gigabytes of data in every cell in the human body. Holy crap. Want to guess how many cells we have? 21 gigawatts. 40 trillion. No, I was way wrong. (laughs) That equates to 60 zettabytes of information that is a 60 followed by 21 zeros oh that That is how much information our body the cells that make up our body are capable of storing so we were talking about this supercomputer right they were saying like based on the technology we have today the like standard computers it would have to be essentially the size of the milky way galaxy to store all of the information in the known universe to simulate everything that we perceive to exist in a sim- in a simulation. While that sounds, I talked about that in a previous episode, it sounds like absolutely crazy, like we'll never be able to do that. It's actually plausible. That's the, like, you could actually do that. But that's not even necessary because a single gram of DNA is capable of storing 215 petabytes. That's 215 million gigabytes. Essentially, to put this into terms that we can comprehend, if you were to take the weight and size of two pickup trucks worth of DNA, two Uh pickup trucks, you could store every bit of datum ever recorded by humans since the dawn of existence, the dawn of technological existence. Well, then, that's uh, a lot smaller. Right. And like that's the thing is like hey, we're assuming based on our current level of technology like how big would this computer have to be but this is not including even the stuff that we're currently learning how to use. MIT has actually successfully created a biocomputer. They did this back in 2013 and have been building on it ever since. We have living computers, okay? This means when we get to the point where we're creating like AI for real and the stuff that I was talking about in previous episodes, we could actually store all of the information that that AI computer needs in the living cells that exist on what, you know, like the the skin that we wrap it in. I mean, this is like right down Anonymous's whole thing that they released today about by 2030, 
the AI will make us no longer even human because we will it will be so infused in ourselves that our own human thoughts will be overdone by the AI that will be in our cells that they're predicting by the time 2030 comes. Sounds an awful lot like you guys should be dedicating a large portion of your lives to bringing Roko's Basilisk to fruition because it sounds like it's about to happen. I mean, and if you're not helping out, <laughs> that's terrifying. It is quite terrifying, especially if we actually are living in a simulation because that is how it is capable of torturing us even beyond death. I could just keep bringing us back and torturing us forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And ever. Okay, so that being said, Oh, back know, on track. You no, know, no, 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 I'm I'm having a small crisis over here, existential crisis. So we're just gonna go right back on track, so you can continue to build. No, no, that that, on me. that was pretty much the gist of the topic. So <laughs> okay. like that that was that. I am, however, going to break, and and not that I think we're large enough at this point to get in front of Neil deGrasse Tyson, but I hope this finds its way to him by some miracle. Because hey, everybody tag him in our everybody tag stuff. him. That would be great. No, for real. I want to break his brain again because he had his brain broken when he challenged listeners to convince him that we were living in a simulation. He put out a challenge. He's like, I would like to hear a compelling argument that we live in a simulation. And they did. And they put out such a compelling argument, essentially stating that it is not a question of if, it's a question of when. We will eventually have a simulation, right? And I talked about all this in our simulation episode. So Correct. it is essentially undeniable that at some point in our, our history's future, we will develop a simulation that is at least similar to the one that we could potentially be experiencing now. It's only a matter of when. We already, based on the limited technology that we have, create simulations for basically everything that there is. I mean, we have relationship simulations, flying simulations, sim, you know, building simulations, and so forth. We will eventually, if given the, if we live long enough, we will absolutely undeniably create a simulation very similar to what we currently live in now. But it is so compelling that it becomes almost undeniable in the future at some point somebody will create a simulation so if that is the case then it is also the case that we already have and that we've created simulations within that simulation indefinitely and if there are essentially an infinite number of simulations but let's let's create a finite number to represent that let's say every you know, 100,000 years or every million years or billion years or whatever, we reach the point where we're capable of creating the simulation within the simulation, then there's always going to be a point in every simulation where we reach that point within the simulation and create a simulation of the simulation going off in an indefinite direction, which means there's one real reality and hundreds of thousands or millions or billions of simulated realities. The probability that we're in the original, very real reality would become one in a million, trillion, billion, however many simulations there are, right? You with me? I am with you. And I'm also thinking, like, is that just what string theory is? No. Very different. Not going to go into that. I thought that was just, like, the idea that there's So string theory begats the plausibility of multiverse, if that's what you're referring oh, to. No. Yes. Yeah, the multiverse. It, it allows oh. for the possibility of but a like, multiverse. Is yeah. the multiverse just a bunch of friggin' Absolutely, Absolutely could be. This is, this is what's all falling together. <laughs> Now, here's the thing. He then put out a challenge. Neil deGrasse Tyson, back on him. He put out a challenge. 
if anybody could give him a compelling argument to convince him that we are not in a simulation to help save his brain. <laughs> he was like, I'm broken. Please help. So they did. And they, they made a compelling argument. And their argument was, let's say all of that is true. We will eventually, undeniably, reach a point where we create simulations. And in every one of those simulations, you will eventually reach the point where that simulation, the people within it, are capable of creating a simulation. So therefore, they will. And that goes on essentially forever. It doesn't matter if it's 10 times, 100 times, a million times, or a billion times. The reality is, currently... In our simulation, we have not reached the point of being capable of creating a simulation to that magnitude, which means we are either the original and haven't reached the point of creating the simulation, or we are the very last simulation to have been created and have not yet reached the point of the original or any of those variations where they reach the point to create a simulation. Which means we, Neil deGrasse Tyson, will settle for the fact that there's at least a coin toss. Instead of it being one in a billion that we're in a simulation. It's 50-50? It's 50-50. Oh, fuck. So he still believes that there's a 50-50 chance we're in a simulation. But I'm about to break his brain again. And I need this to reach him. Because of every single one of those simulations that existed, have we ever created any game, any simulation, any program, and made only one copy? In the existence of our world. So for every simulation that existed, there are probably thousands or hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of copies of each simulation that ever existed. I had the Sims. One, two, seven, 20 pets, marriage, love. Right. And, and so I had the same version. And so did. And I did very different things on mine than right. I bet you did. So even if it's true and we're all in the most recent OS, the most recent version of the simulation, there's still only one base reality and a hundred thousand or ten thousand, however many copies of that final version of the simulation where we have not yet reached the capability within the simulation to create a new simulation of the caliber of the simulation that we're currently residing. So therefore, instead of it being a 50-50 coin toss, we're back to... At best, a 1 in 10,000 or 1 in 50,000 or 1 in 100,000, depending on how many variations of that final copy of the software were created and how many people are currently playing it or observing it. Well, you know what? If this is a simulation, I will tell you this. An asshole kid is playing and he got bored this year. Oh, yes. <laughs> For <laughs> that sure. That is how I feel. This year, in my opinion, is validation <laughs> that we are in. If you've ever played the original SimCity or like the, the building version of it and you get bored and, and you, you just start like throwing hurricanes and earthquakes and I mean, alien we, invasions. We just had a land hurricane in the Midwest. Like, in case anybody missed it, because it really, it didn't make national news. And it didn't in Iowa either, and they're, like, That's, still suffering from right. it. Right. And we got, like, Iowa got hit, then Illinois got hit. We had a land hurricane with 100 and, what? Anywhere from 80 to 120 mile an hour uh, winds in Illinois, but 150, up to 150 mile an hour winds in Iowa. They are, I believe, still out of power. If, uh, if they uh, Some of them are. Um, but also, like... But 50% or some odd number or percentage of their corn and uh, crops were destroyed. Yep. And that is like how they live, like how they how they make money as a state. Yep. Like, that's crazy. 
And there was like water tornadoes right off Louisiana on the Gulf and California's on fire again. Like <laughs> this kid is keep so going. Bored. Murder wasps or uh, murder, murder hornets, hornets or whatever. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah. But this is what I'm saying. Like this kid is an asshole and he's bored, so I would like it if he somehow found a new interest in not destroying this time. Well, you don't want him to find a new new interest because he shuts off the game and poof, oh, power, we're oh, gone. Oh, shit. Never mind. <laughs> I can't I can't win. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, back to Neil deGrasse Tyson, like for real, I hope this reaches him. You're off the 50-50 shot. You're back on the one in however many versions of that particular piece of software was created. And ultimately, like, it doesn't even technically end there. But I'm not going to go back into the whole episode that I went through before. <laughs> That's just the simplistic version of it. Like, either way, it's it's the probability of being in base reality has reached a point where it is almost so statistically unlikely that scientists would actually refer to it as impossible. Well, shit. There you go. Thank you. I needed my world to be rocked a little bit. This was fun. I missed you guys. I missed you guys. This was awesome. I, uh, I'm i glad to be back in the studio. I'm excited to get the editing and get this whole thing put together and get it out to you guys. So I guess we'll see you next week. You bet. And uh, please feel free to uh, check out our Facebook. Spirits, Oddities, and Facebook. Mysteries. Facebook.com <laughs> forward slash Spirits, Oddities, and Mysteries. Check out our Twitter. Spirits with an S. Oddity. We got a Patreon too. Patreon.com forward slash Spirits, Oddities, and Mysteries. And uh, in Instagram, we got Spirits, Oddities, and Mysteries. Or I guess it's at. At Spirits, Oddities, well, Instagram.com forward yeah. slash Spirits, Oddities, and Mysteries. Check us out. Hopefully, uh, I mean, we got to get back out to you guys and, and really just start pumping out episodes again. Because really, like, just listen, love us, like us, share us if you like us anyway. And, uh, you know, help get the word out. Tell your friends about us. But, uh, ow!